the other side of midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Tomorrow, by the way, mark your calendar. We're going to be doing our special Festivus show, including our annual airing of grievances. So be sure to tune in for that. But the other thing that I want you to mark your calendar for is that uh, this morning at uh, 625, I am going to be on Sid and Friends, our morning show with Sid Rosenberg. And I hope everybody tunes in. Now, I always have a good time with Sid. We always uh, joke around a bit. We always, I think, touch upon some substantive issues as well. And uh, Sid's a great guy and uh, honestly a terrific radio broadcaster. But the other reason that I'm eager for you to tune in at my specific time that I'm on is because the 6 o'clock hour, because that's when people are still waking up and they're not fully in their commute mode yet, that is usually the least listened to hour of the morning show. Not just that morning show, but any morning show. And they look at these streaming numbers. When I say they, it's management and it's everybody that analyzes these things to see which segments really pop on the streaming. So I'm asking you as a favor to me, even if you don't traditionally listen to the morning show, please at 625 this morning, have your streaming device, your app, your computer, all of them ideally, Tune to WABCRadio.com and listen to my segment with Sid at 625 this morning. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I would imagine we'll talk a little bit about national politics, a little bit about local politics. Who knows, maybe even the uh, Ukraine situation with Zelensky begging for money here in uh, the United States yesterday. But whatever the case may be, I'm sure it's going to be fun, but we'll also hopefully enlighten some of you as well. 625 tomorrow morning on the Sid and Friends morning show. By the way, last week you may recall that uh, Sid Rosenberg's signed poster was one of the things that we was the thing that we gave away to people that are in the WABC VIP club. We're still trying to get people to join that VIP club and today uh, this week I should say you have a chance to win a signed t-shirt from our very own cousin Brucey, a real legend in the world of Radio. If you're not a member of the WABC VIP Club yet, you can do so and sign up by going to wabcradio.com slash VIP, or you can just go and download the 77 WABC app. Every week they choose a different VIP Club member to win a prize, and this week the prize is a signed t-shirt from Cousin Brucey. So join the 77 WABC VIP Club today. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano here on 77 WABC. I am a longtime admitted fan of the New York Metropolitans. Towards the end of yesterday's show, I did mention this blockbuster signing that the New York Mets had made yesterday in picking up one of the best shortstops in all of baseball, Carlos Correa. And I know uh, Kenneth, a.k.a. Kenny, a.k.a. Ken, a.k.a. Kevin, has been talking about this in some of 
his sports reports for the last 24 hours. And I'm excited. Uh, there's, there's a reason he's going to be probably the highest paid shortstop in all of baseball, not only next year, but a good chance for the next decade. And he's a winner. And you combine that with the incredible starting pitching rotation we have. The Mets are in a great position. And I'm thrilled that contrary to what we've seen from some other Met ownerships over the years, Steve Cohen seems willing to invest in his team and spend the money necessary to compete. I do want to caution the Met fans, though, and Steve Cohen, if he's listening, that the way to build a team and the way to build a dynasty and the way to win over the hearts of your city and the hearts of the fans of your city is not just to spend the most money and it's not just to go out and buy the best players. You have to build. You have to build a foundation. And the key to building a successful baseball team is a solid base in the minor leagues. And I hope, and I have no idea if he's doing this, I hope that Steve Cohen and the current leadership of the Metropolitans is building a bench in the minor leagues. If you think of the Yankees, the Yankees obviously in the Steinbrenner era never hesitated to spend a lot of money when necessary. If you think of the players that you remember as the great Yankees of the 90s and 2000s, who do you think of? You think of people like Derek Jeter. You think of people like Bernie Williams. You think of people like Don Mattingly. And what those people all had in common is they were homegrown. They came through the Yankee farm system and worked their way up the Yankee chain. And not only did that give them an emotional attachment to the Yankees, as I think you're now seeing with Aaron Judge and the news that he's going to be the new captain of the Yankees, but it gave the fans the sense that these were really hometown players, not hired guns that they were bringing in at the highest price to win and then they would go somewhere else next year if someone else would pay them a dollar more, which is far too common in baseball these days. And whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's movies, whether it's literature, whether it's uh, newspapers, anything, there's always a short-term way to win, and that's to buy the people that are already big stars. But the smart way to win, as far as I'm concerned, is to invest in the future. And I hope that many mentality is not lost on the New York Metropolitans or any baseball team these days. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I am sure a lot of you are going to be giving snow globes as gifts this year. Maybe to your mom, maybe to an aunt, maybe to a grandmother, maybe to a co-worker. It's kind of a very nice gift this time of year. We have several snow globes in our house, and one of my favorite films, Citizen Kane, has the snow globe as a pretty integral plot point. But how many of you know where the snow globe came from? Well, listen up. Did you ever stop to think about where the snow globe came from? Well, they're actually relatively new in things. The story begins around 1900 when Erwin Percy, a surgical instrument maker in Vienna, Austria, received a request from a doctor for a light bulb that produced the bright illumination needed for surgery. At first... Percy thought that he could solve the problem with a shoemaker's lamp, a glass globe filled with water that, when placed in front of the light bulb, amplified and focused the light on the work area. While helpful, the light was too focused on one small spot and thus not practical for surgery. 
Percy continued to experiment with ways to both amplify and spread the light by inserting metal flakes into the globe, but they quickly sank to the bottom. Percy thought they looked a bit like falling snow. So he was inspired by that image, and he tried filling the globe with semolina. And when he shook the globe, he saw the beauty of winter in Vienna. The snow globe and the original snow globe factory was born. The first snow globe Percy sold held a tiny tin sculpture of the Basilica in Austria, which was located right across from where Percy's friend owned a souvenir shop. The connection with Christmas came during World War II. By then, Erwin Percy II was running the family businesses. He was also a bicycle and typewriter mechanic, and while working for U.S. troops, he was told Americans would love snow globes if there were something more familiar than the basilica inside. And so the idea to put all sorts of different scenes in these snow globes was born. The original snow globe company began exporting these holiday snow globes to the United States with great success. And Percy III was sent to New York by his father to bring back new ideas for the company, different scenes that they could put in those snow globes. And while exhibiting at the New York Gift Show in the mid-70s, he was encouraged to consider the Japanese market. The following year, he moved to Tokyo, but the country was initially slow to embrace the snow globe until the company received an order from Mitsubishi. And lo and behold, the Japanese market went crazy as well. And today, snow globes are a huge phenomenon all over the globe. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. You know, I got an email from Neil in Staten Island. He was sending me an article and he says, why is it that politicians seem unable to tell the truth? And I'll tell you, with fiscal matters, that definitely appears to be the case. It seems it's difficult to get a straight answer when it comes to politicians and money. For instance, Eric Adams and the city controller, Brad Lander, who don't always see eye to eye, they have been forecasting doom and gloom. The mayor himself said the city is facing an economic tsunami and ordered budget cuts and hiring freezes. He was the mayor talking to the city council about how the economic situation in our city is going to be so bad that the city council should fork over some of their discretionary funds to the mayor's office. It is alarming. It is. I mean, this is this and New Yorkers need to be aware of what we are up against. And, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to give the impression of that this new influx is not going to impact our basic services. And so when you say which service, look at every service we provide. Every service we provide is going to be impacted by the influx of migrants in our city. It's going to impact education. It's going to impact the dollars we're using to clean our streets. It's going to impact um, our public safety. It's going to impact our helping those long-term New Yorkers who are in need. Every service, if you look down the list of services, I have to now go back to the drawing board, already multi-billion dollars in deficit because of the pandemic. I have to return to the drawing board and now reconfigurate every service we're providing in the city based on what is about to happen to the city. The Independent Budget Office, which is genuinely nonpartisan, they're a nonpartisan budget watchdog group, they don't see things that way. They say, in contrast to what the mayor is saying and the city controller, 
that the city is on pace to have a sizable budget surplus of more than $2 billion. This was released on Monday, and it predicts there will be slower economic growth in the coming months, but not a recession. So why the different sets of numbers from the mayor and the IBO? Now, I think the mayor's philosophy is a good one in that you always want to assume the worst. Hope for the best and assume the worst. And if you have a surplus, that's great. But I think the mayor might be trying to present a more dire situation here. One, so he has an easier time getting that federal aid to battle the migrant crisis. And two, so he can get the city council to fork over some of their discretionary funding. The problem is, if politicians are always lying about the economic situation, both the current one and the future one, how do you know what the truth is? Beam me up. That's something I don't have an answer for. To be continued.